Hey there, I'm Britton, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Cape Cod Church, you can visit our website at www.capecodchurch.com or follow us on social media at Cape Cod Church. In the meantime, enjoy this message in our current series, Home. Would you help me to welcome Dave Ripper as he comes to speak to us this morning? Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with all of you here in the room, with everyone online. little shout-out to my family who's watching, my wife Erin, my boys Dallas and Clive, and my daughter Avila. It's so good to be with you. It's my first time in Falmouth, and what a beautiful place. I admit, I was bracing myself a little bit for hearing some kind of bad language, uh, because your reputation is this such a foul-mouthed type of place to... Uh, <laughs> to be at. Hey, thanks for laughing at that. I was trying to break the ice. I didn't think that was going to go well at all, but very generous congregation I see here. And what a beautiful space that you're in, I know. Uh, Pastors also have to be aware of the thou shall not covet type of uh, commandment as well, but you are a blessed not only to be here in this place, in this space, but you've got an amazing pastor in in Pastor Ben. Uh, Yeah, you can definitely cheer for him. He's been a real encouragement to me as I've gotten to know him over the last year in a lead pastor group that's led by the person who'll be speaking next week, uh, Pastor Gordon McDonald, who's just a legend. I hope you come back to hear him. He has so much wisdom to be able to share. But I love Ben's candor, his transparency, his uh, just honesty. He has really been an encouragement for a lot of us, myself especially, in just the hardest year of church ministry and leadership I think any of us have ever had to live through. So you are blessed here at this church. And I love rolling in here today to see your mission statement everywhere, Live fully. Reminds me of probably my favorite verse in the Bible, John 10.10, where Jesus says, the enemy, the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You got to know that he's out there. One of the enemy's greatest ploys and strategies is to get you to believe that he doesn't exist. But the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Life abundantly. Life to the very limit. If we want to experience that life to the full, then I believe we need to enlist Jesus as our teacher. Many people enlist him as their savior, but all of us, whether we know it or not, have chosen something or someone to show us how to live. And I don't believe there is a better teacher in the world than Jesus. If you could find someone better than Jesus, Jesus might even tell you to listen to that person, but he never would because that person doesn't exist. If we want to know how to live fully, We need to learn to make Jesus our teacher. And the key idea I want to help us explore here today is to live fully. We need to live faithfully. To live fully, live faithfully. What does it mean to to be faithful? Well, to be full of faith. And what's faith? Faith is ultimately about trust. That we trust that God is who he said he is and that he's going to do everything that he said he's going to do. That I can trust him with my resources, my time, my schedule, my desires, and not trusting myself or anything else, but ultimately to trust him. And trusting God has been a big part of my journey, especially over the last six years where I've served as uh, the Boston Bruins chaplain along with pastoring uh, a local church right in the Mass, New Hampshire border as well. And through my experience with the Bruins, I want to share five essentials of faithfulness here with you today. Five essentials of faithfulness, things I might never have learned had I not stepped out in faith to do what God had put on my heart and others to, to be able to do, to start a chapel program in the most unlikely of places 
places in the sport of hockey, in the city of Boston, in the godless state of Massachusetts. We'll share how God has done just an amazing thing. So to kick it off, one of the questions I get oftentimes is, how did you become the Bruins chaplain? Sometimes it's out of surprise. Uh, sometimes people, when they hear the last name Ripper, they're thinking somebody a little bit, you know, a little more violent sounding. I'm not related to Jack the Ripper anyways, just to clarify. They're thinking of somebody different than, than me. And sometimes it's a little condescending. Like, how did you? Were you like a hockey guy? And I never played ice hockey in my entire life, and yet God called me to this role. And it, I was at the time pastoring a church in Lexington, Mass., one of the pastors at Grace Chapel. Maybe you've heard of that before. And one of the defensemen from the Bruins, uh, Adam McQuaid, was attending our church and really growing in his faith, just in leaps and bounds. And as he was growing closer to God, he just had this sense that he needed to be telling other people about what God was doing in and through his life. And, and I got a chance to actually share his faith uh, to the Boston Globe in a really amazing article that was written back in 2015. And at that time, there was a group of people called the Hockey Ministries International, and they reached out to Adam and said, hey, we would love to start a chapel program here from the Bruins. Would you be interested? Do you know anybody who could help you? And he uh, referred to our church where I was. And so it was one of the most random phone calls I think I ever got in my life where somebody called me up, hey, Dave, I would want to see if you want to become the, the Bruins chaplain and start a chapel program there. And I was like, I don't have any of the qualifications, you know, I don't play hockey, I uh, don't know all that much about it uh, necessarily, but they said, no, I think this is the right thing. So Adam and I started to get together and started to pray. We added another teammate, uh, Tori Krug, and we sad to lose him last year. Uh, and then we had our first chapel, which I'll tell you about in a few moments. That's kind of how it happened. But as I reflected back on how did this thing happen, I believe it's because of the ways that God has seen that I have not perfectly, but tried to be faithful throughout my life uh, with what he's called me to do. I think God has helped me learn to be faithful with little. And when you're faithful with little, Jesus says that he will give you more. In Luke 16, 10, it says, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger things. So what's God called you to be faithful with here today? When I was 13 years old, I was going to a church, wouldn't have called myself a Christian, small church right across the street from my house, and they offered me my first job. My first job was to be the groundskeeper of this uh, little Presbyterian church, and it was about cutting about two acres of grass, and they were going to pay me a whopping $60 every other week to do it, and I thought, man, I am rolling deep. I got more dough than all of my friends, and uh, it was a pretty good deal for them. And I did that job for five years. And when I started to do it, I, I had a little bit of a fear of God. Like, if I don't do this well, God might kind of strike me down if the grass doesn't look good. So I worked my hardest to cut that grass and to trim it, to maintain it as best as I could. Then when I came to Christ a couple years later when I was 15, I started to realize how good God has been to me. And I want to cut this grass out of gratitude, out of love, and to do it in the best way possible. And that job kind of taught me a lot about what faithfulness is all about, doing the best we can with what God has given us for his great glory and, and for the inspiration of others. And I believe that over the years, while I haven't been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, God has continued to give me more as I've been faithful and attempted to over the last 24 years. And that's probably one of the ways that God opened this door for me to get to have a really unique opportunity to work with hockey players and coaches and others in the, the whole sports realm and world. So it just makes me want to ask you today, what is it that God has put before you to be faithful with? 
What relationships, what resources, what opportunities, what needs are there here at Cape Cod Church that maybe you could help play a part of filling, just like I was uh, called to serve as a groundskeeper of a church? But when you're faithful with little, God will give you more. That's kind of the first essential of faithfulness. The second one is this, that we need to be faithful with our weaknesses. Faithful with our weaknesses. So after Adam and Tori and I, we uh, decide to, to get this thing started, I actually have to show up to chapel. And Adam gave me some verbal instructions, and I'll admit I'm terrible with verbal instructions. He kind of said, park in this uh, kind of parking lot over here in, uh, near our Wilmington Mass practice facility, and then you'll go knock on this back door, and there'll be like a security guard that'll probably let you in and tell them who you are, and we'll just kind of go from there. So I make it to the parking lot, and I'll tell you, I was just starting to get extremely nervous. All of my insecurities started to well up. I'm like, did I really understand Adam the right way? Like, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I knocking on the right door? You know, what if they look at me and just say, there's no way this can be a guy that has any reason to be here in this building? Or once I get in, what if the players just reject me? You know, I don't look like a hockey guy. What if they quiz me and I make a mistake or do something stupid? All of my insecurities started to well up to the surface, and I just didn't actually want to do it. And while I was sitting in my car, just kind of sweating and getting nervous about this, I remembered a key passage of Scripture that God laid on my heart that I'd memorized years ago. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It's where Paul feels really inadequate because of this thorn in his flesh. He asked Jesus to take it away from him, but Jesus doesn't. And then Jesus says these words, and I felt like God said them right to me that day. My grace is sufficient for you. By yourself, you don't have what it takes to kind of start this new thing, to work in this role. But fortunately, you don't have to do this by yourself. My grace is sufficient for you, enough for you. God's grace is God acting in ways to, that we can't act on our own, to do things we can't do by just mere human effort and ingenuity. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As I've studied more in that verse, this idea of God's power being perfected, it really is about the idea of God's power being unleashed. I've got an 11-year-old yellow lab named Howdy, and when uh, Howdy, which is a pretty funny dog name, it's a good name unless you lose Howdy, and then you have to run around the neighborhood yelling, Howdy! And people are like, what? Well, when we live near the city, uh, there was a couple places you could let the dog off the leash. And so when Howdy would be getting close to that place, you could feel him just pulling the leash, pulling the leash, because as soon as I released the lever here, he was just going to take off. And I just still love that. He can still do it even at 11 years old. He tires himself out a lot quicker now. But after I would unleash Howdy, he would just take off. It was a beautiful sight to see uh, this dog just in his glory. And in a similar way, when we admit our weaknesses, when we lean into the situations that we'd rather run from, that we're fearful of, that raise anxiety within us or incite fear in some ways, but when we trust God and we say yes to what that thing is, I believe God's power is unleashed in an extremely extraordinary way. I've been blown away that in the six years that we've done Bruins Chapel, at different points, we have had the largest chapel uh, in any of the NHL teams. And even at one point, our uh, hockey ministries uh, have told me 
This is the largest group of hockey players we've ever had meet at any level at any time, so you better enjoy it. And I said, I can take zero credit for this. This is totally something the Lord has done. But God's power is unleashed in human weakness. Where might you feel weak? What are some areas of your life that, boy, this is just kind of off limits, talking, sharing my faith, giving, serving. What do you just kind of feel uh, a sense of, I just, no, resistance to. I've learned, especially from parenting my oldest son, Dallas, like he never wanted to take a nap when he was a kid, and it's what he needed the most. And this became a spiritual lesson for me. We resist the hardest what we often need to do the most. And I wonder, what's that weakness in your life, that sense of insecurity, that area of inadequacy, that causes you to be resistant to what God might be wanting you to do? We resist the hardest what we need the most. But if God's power is unleashed in our weakness, then we shouldn't just be stewards of the strengths that God has given us, but we need to invest in God's work through our weaknesses as well. So may we trust God being faithful, not just with our strengths, but even our weaknesses. Third, we need to be faithful with contentment. Faithful with contentment. One of the lessons I learned uh, stepping into like the whole pro sports world is that I would have thought once you become a pro athlete, you kind of live out the dream and you, you achieve it, that you are able to have this impermeable sense of just contentment. Like, I'm a pro athlete, I reached the goal, I accomplished what I set out to do, and now I'm just set in life forever. I'm always going to be happy. But my naivety revealed itself, because that's just not the case in the lives of most athletes. It's an up and down, it's a high and low, and I started to realize even if they have a higher level of fame and, and platform and money and possessions than I do as a pastor, none of them actually struck me as being that much happier than me. And because life is so out of our control, like the pandemic has revealed, not that we've lost control, but that we've really lost our illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. But because we are just not in control, there's going to be things that happen that we just would never willingly choose. But God still invites us to find contentment in him. So a passage of scripture I, I teach often in our chapels, which typically look like a meal before or after practices, is from 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. And it says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, what's godliness? Godliness is really about Christ-likeness. Often you think about godliness and cleanliness being together, and I hope that's wrong, because cleanliness is not my strong suit, as my wife would gladly attest. But it's not, that's not what it has to do with. It has to about being with God so that we could become more like Christ and do what Jesus would do if he was us. We become like those that we spend the most time with. So godliness begins spending your life, your time, your energy, your focus on the God who longs to be with you. And then how do we become content? I think there's two keys to developing contentment in our life. Presence, being fully present where you are, and gratitude. Probably the best week that I have every single year is when we go on vacation, and I take my cell phone, and I literally shut it off, and I hand it to my wife and says, this is up to you what we do with this this week. And when I don't have that distraction device or machine with me, 
It's amazing the amount of joy and emotions of peace and just love that well up within me. I'm not only present to those around me in an undistracted way, but I'm more present to the very presence of God. And that just heightens my joy and contentment. So we need to be present to be content. And along with that, we need to be full of gratitude. Contentment really means I'm okay even if I don't have all the things that I want in my life. And to be more and more content, it's about saying yes and and reveling in and and expressing thankfulness for the things you do have instead of being focused on the things that you do not have. One of my favorite leaders in church history is a man named St. Ignatius of Loyola. And St. Ignatius challenged people to become too grateful to sin. He looked at sin, failing to miss the, you know, missing the mark on God's best. He saw sin as a failure of gratitude. And to do all the things that Jesus said, to live fully and live faithfully, then we need to cultivate gratitude to become the kind of people who could be too grateful to sin. So I encourage you, Build that habit of this constant gratitude day in, day out. Maybe just simply name a few gifts that God's given to you each and every day. Godliness plus contentment, it equals great gain. So as I would teach this to to folks in chapel, kind of around a meal, I would share a story too about the Israelites. And after they left uh, Egypt and were delivered into uh, the wilderness before they make it to the promised land, God would send from heaven manna food for them to eat. And manna just literally means, what is it? This kind of wafery, flaky kind of stuff. It's kind of like the communion elements that come in these prepackaged things these days. And, uh, uh, and, and Dallas Willard, who's one of my ultimate heroes, he would say that our achievements are like that manna in the wilderness. People were called to gather just enough for the day and on the sixth day, gather enough for two days so they could practice Sabbath. But when people would try and gather more than what they needed for the day, that manna would rot out. It would spoil. And when we think achievements are the things in our lives or that are going to enable us to be content, whether it's through performance or relational status, whatever we're kind of chasing after, Willard says our achievements are like manna in the wilderness. They really only satisfy for a short time. They never fully deliver on what they promise. They actually only want you to have more and more and more. When I taught on this, I was grateful for one of the Bruins players at the time, David Backus, who's about my age, and he was sharing with some of the younger guys just how true this is. He said, when I was in college and trying to make it to the pros, he said, if I could just play one game professionally, then I would be set for life. Like, then I would be happy and I could call it quits and that would be good. Well, then he made it to that day, got to play a professional game. And at that point, it was like, well, man, if I could just get a contract for a season, that would be great. Then he got that contract for the season. Then it was like, I want to get a multi-year contract. Then I want to make all-stars. Then I want to get a Stanley Cup. Then I want to be able to play a thousand games. And every time you hit the target, it didn't deliver what it promised. It just moved. The target set the bar higher so that we're constantly chasing after something that, we, that wouldn't ultimately satisfy in the way that we thought it would. And a lot of us have been chasing things as well. Maybe it was that retirement house or that pension or maybe it's that grade or getting into that school and it was really amazing at first. But after a little while, the luster of that new thing just 
stops bringing you the pleasure that it did initially. So we've got to chase something better than, than something that will dissatisfy us for a day. There's a parable uh, that I love to tell about a, hor- uh, a dog racing track down in Florida. And dog racers, uh, these, these greyhounds, they will chase after an electric rabbit. And that rabbit's kind of running around the late racetrack, and they never seem to catch it. But one day, the rabbit broke down. And all the dogs finally get to this elusive rabbit, and they snap at it, and they're like, ah, this is kind of disappointing. And they start then just acting like dogs, growling at each other, you know, all that kind of thing. And it was just this hilarious scene where these dogs that are running full speed after something that they thought was going to be their end-all, be-all, and they actually get it, and it totally lets them down. And I believe in life, To find contentment, we need to chase after a rabbit that will not break down. And what might that be? It's not power. It's not comfort. It's not ease. It's not fame. It's not all those followers on social media. I believe it is only godliness plus contentment that gives us the great gain that we're really looking for in life. So how might God be calling you in your season of life to be faithful with what he has given to you, to be faithful with contentment? So we need to be faithful with little, faithful with weakness, faithful with contentment. And then fourthly, we need to be faithful with neighborly love. I think there's nothing that's more mistaken in our world than than what love really is. It's not just a feeling. It's not even just an act. It's really an inner disposition to promote the well-being of others. I was teaching this at one of our chapels, and I've taught from 1 John 3.16, which gives us probably the best definition directly of love that we find all throughout the Bible. And it says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters as well. Real love is about self-sacrifice. Dallas Willard, who I mentioned earlier, and if you're not familiar with him, read his stuff and you'll thank me later, but Willard says that love is to will the good of others. It is a sense of trying to promote something or someone's good for its own sake even at our own expense. Well, as I was talking about this, Adam McQuaid, who helped start chapel with me, we were at the TD Garden down in the basement for this, this session a few years ago, and, and it was an interesting season of life for him. It was for the first time in his life that he wasn't quite getting the playing time that he was used to having. Uh, it's called being healthy scratched, if you watch hockey, where you're able to play, but there's just not enough sp- Spots on the, on, in the lineups for you to make it this particular week. Someone else gets your spot. And at that point, the Bruins had made some moves to bring in quite a few other folks to make a deep playoff run, and everybody was healthy at that time. And one of the guys really vying for Adam's spot uh, was a guy named Nick Holden, who was, happened to be at the table right there with us while we were talking about the self-sacrificial love. And Adam spoke up and said, I just kind of want to address the elephant in the room here as we talk about this. Nick, I know you and I are really gunning for the same spot. And I want you to know, I want that spot. I'm going after it. But I also really want you to succeed and flourish as well. Because I care about you. You are a brother in Christ. And that makes us more than just teammates. There's kind of a hush just fell across the whole room. Can't believe I'm hearing this. Then Nick actually said, you know, Adam, same thing here, man. I I want that spot, but 
I also want you to succeed and flourish as well. As I sat there listening to that, I just felt a ton of conviction in my heart. Because I'm not sure at that moment if I could have said that to some of my other colleagues or other pastors. You know, at the church I was at, there was about 15 or 16 pastors all wanting to preach when the senior pastor wasn't. And did I really hope that some of my colleagues would get the pulpit more than me? Did I really want them to do better than me? Meaning that I would experience less. And God really convicted my heart and put me on this journey of helping me find and, and look for and search to, to have that kind of contentment and peace to be able to, to live like Adam did uh, and still does to this day. And I've realized that one of the reasons I would never be able to say something like that at that moment to other people or my colleagues, you know, the root for my rivals, uh, was because I was too easily threatened by other people. And God put me on this journey of learning to be someone who's not easily threatened. Not easily threatened when you see somebody outperforming you or doing better than you or being better looking or whatever you kind of measure your self-worth by. God invites us that the closer we get to him, the less easily threatened we will be by other people. And I believe one of the reasons we are living in such a divided, hostile, polarizing world is because we are so threatened by the other. The other who challenges our way of life, challenges how we've just been taught to live. But if we found more security in our identity in Christ and found so much joy and satisfaction and peace and being so deeply connected with him, I believe we'll become the kind of people who are less easily and easily threatened. And the less threatened you are, the more capable you will be of being able to love your neighbor as yourself. So who's someone or some group of people that seem to threaten you? Play that out in your mind a little bit. Is that legitimate? And maybe even if it is, how might God be inviting you to find so much contentment, so much peace, so much joy in him that you don't need to be threatened by anything or anyone because you know whose you are and that you are a beloved child of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, a creature endowed with infinite significance and worth. That's who you are. So we need to be faithful in neighborly love. And to be faithful in neighborly love, we have to grow as people who are not easily threatened by circumstances or others. And lastly, the kind of last essential of faithfulness that I've really learned from being the Bruins chaplain these last six years is that we need to be faithful with our focus, with our goals, with what we really strive after. One of the players on the team is a defenseman named Brandon Carlo, and he's got a great tattoo on his giant forearm that says, live by faith, not by sight, which is taken from 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we live by faith, not by sight. And anytime you see that word faith in the scriptures, I would encourage you, almost substitute it for trust. We live by trust, not by sight. We live by trusting in God with all of our heart, leaning not on our own understanding, trusting that in all ways he will make our path straight, direct the course and the quality of our lives. And one of the ways that Brandon has kind of taught others uh, to, to live by faith and not by sight is that he's committed to living and playing for an audience of one. Not the 15,000 people in the garden. Not to try and silence the critics who are constantly railing against our guys. Oh my goodness, it's brutal. You know, I have to pray for Felger and Maz and others who just tear people down. But we don't want to play for them. We don't want to play for even our, our peers or our families. When we play for an audience of one, 
I believe God does something amazing. God frees us from being gripped by the tyranny of the opinions of other people. I've heard some players talk about when I start playing for an audience of one, it actually improves my capacity to play because I'm not worried about what my coach thinks. I'm not worried about what my GM thinks. I'm not worried about what my uh, co-other teammates think. If I'm doing my best and pleasing God, then I can trust him and let go of the outcome, whatever that might be. So who's the audience that you're living for in your life? Could be someone. It could be the American dream, some type of ideal. But I believe when we live for an audience of one and God becomes that audience of our lives that we are focused on being faithful to, everything else will start to fall into place and we will be free. And the more spiritual freedom we're able to cultivate, I believe the more fully we will be able to live. To live fully. We've got to live faithfully. Well, as I wrap up, I've reflected over the last years about, God, this is such a unique opportunity that give, you've given to me, and how can I maximize it for kingdom potential? Not for my name to become some, something, not so that I can get some kind of platform or attention, but how can I build your kingdom? And when the pandemic hit last March, a couple marches ago now, I was trying to think about, boy, everything has been disrupted. Church is so different. All the guys have stopped playing. Is there an opportunity here in this moment? And God put it in my heart to take the bold step of faith to ask a handful of the players to join me for a sermon at my church, Crossway Christian Church uh, in southern New Hampshire. And everyone agreed to do it. Uh, we did a Zoom kind of chat. A lot of themes that I've shared today are things that were a part of that call. And it got thousands of people viewed. It was probably one of our biggest service, if not our biggest service ever in the 25-year history of our church. And within a week, Canada's largest Christian TV show found it. And again, that's not saying a whole lot. Canada's largest Christian TV show. Not necessarily setting the bar real high. But they said, hey, we, would, we loved this whole thing. Would you come on our show and bring the guys on and recreate this? And so I was like, I'll, I'll think about it, pray about it. And several of the guys agreed to do so. And last year, we, we created this, uh, this program for the TV show 100 Huntley Street, which gets about, you know, half million to a million viewers per week. They ended up showing this program uh, a handful of times throughout the year. It became their second most watched uh, episode all year. Kanye West was number one, so couldn't quite top Kanye. That's okay. But millions of people got to see this thing. And the, the executive producer told me about how many folks just felt so encouraged, shared this with their grandchildren or friends, just to show a, camp, a country that loves hockey, that you can love hockey and love Jesus. It was just an amazing witness. And I just feel humbled and grateful to God that he used someone who didn't know that much about the sport to help more people than I could ever imagine know about the love of Jesus. And that just brings so much joy to my heart. And it just shows me that I can be faithful to God because God is the most faithful being in the entire universe. He is worthy of our trust. So how is God inviting you to trust him here today? Are you trusting him with the little that he's given you? Are you trusting him with your weaknesses, not just your strengths? Are you trusting him that he will actually know, help you be content, that he knows what's in your best interest? Are you trusting him with your security so that you can love others as real neighbors like Jesus loved us? Are you trusting him to, to live for him as an audience of one with your focus? 
God is worthy of our trust. And I hope and pray, Cape Cod Church, that you really would live fully by living faithfully for Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much how you can write a story in our lives that we never could have imagined being told before. I never could have uh, guessed that this would be a way that you would use me. But I am grateful for the high calling it has been, and I'm grateful for each of the players who have just witnessed for you in some remarkable ways to help everyone know of your great love. I pray, God, that you would help all of us really live fully. I know many of us throughout this pandemic, we just feel crippled. We might feel like we're languishing, not flourishing. But you would invite us into a better way to live. And faithfulness leads us on that pathway to trust in you. I want to pray for anyone right now who's never put their faith and trust in you to to be their Lord, their Savior, their teacher, that maybe this is the moment for you to say, Jesus, I want to trust you with every aspect of my life, not just my Sundays, but my Sundays through Saturdays, with my work, with my future, with my resources, with my heart, with my desires. God is worthy of your trust. And if you want to make that commitment to him, I just invite you today, wherever you are, to say, Lord, I trust you. I want to follow you. Be my leader, my savior, my teacher. I give my life to you. Or maybe you've kind of lost some trust in God. How could he allow all these things to be taking place like they are? Maybe this is an opportunity for you to kind of reset, to come back to Christ, to make your focus on on him again. Just whisper to Jesus, I trust you now. And so, Lord, I believe all of life is about trust. So help us to live fully by trusting in you faithfully. And may you bless and keep this church. May you make your face shine upon each and every person here and at home. May you be gracious to this community. And may you give Cape Cod Church and its people your peace in such a way the people all throughout the Cape and beyond would be drawn to come to know you and to follow you and to find life and life to the full in you. I pray all these things for God's glory, the good of our world, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, we all pray together and everyone said, amen. Hey, thanks for tuning into this message from our current series, Home. If you enjoyed today's message, join us again next week or join our live stream on Sunday at both 9 and 11 a.m. EST. We are so excited to meet you and get to know you. By just filling out the Connect card down in the caption, we will have the opportunity to reach out and introduce you to our church. Lastly, share this message with a friend, and if you want to support us, leave us a like or subscribe so you never miss out on a message. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time.